Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the May 7th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to discuss COVID-19 vaccine considerations for patients with multiple sclerosis. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He will be interviewing Dr. Kornberg, Assistant Professor at the Department of Neurology at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, as they discuss multiple sclerosis and COVID-19. Dr. Kornberg is also the Program Director for eMultiple Sclerosis Review's COVID-19 Special Edition. In this newsletter podcast combination, Dr. Kornberg analyzes what we currently know about MS and COVID-19. Then, with guest experts reporting from the field, he discusses how the latest clinical data impacts practice. COVID-19 and MS, what we currently know. Read the newsletter or listen to the podcast available now at emsreview.org and linked in the episode resources. Dr. Kornberg, Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Faith, and uh, really want to thank uh, Michael for joining us today on a topic where ever since uh, December uh, has been one of the most frequent questions amongst my patients or colleagues that are trying to get patients immunized, and that is, uh, are there special patient populations that have to worry about being immunized, activating their disease? So, Michael, I'm sure this has been an issue. Um, uh, Patients that have had lupus, patients um, who have rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, but, uh, you know, especially when the brain's involved, uh, I, I take it no one wants their disease to flare at all. Um, Just straight out of the box, I mean, does vaccines, any of our vaccines, are they going to make MS worse? So so it's a great question, Um, you know, important question for patients, but also, you know, for, you know, for for doctors as well. I mean, it's been kind of at least a theoretical concern, you know, since, you know, uh, since the 70s, you know, vaccines and, and MS. The short answer is no. Um, you know that's never been borne out in, in studies. Uh, you know that vaccinations, you know, generally, you know, in a population have not been found to trigger MS relapses. Um, uh, there, there have been so you know specifically with the COVID nineteen vaccines. You know there there have not been dedicated studies in MS patients. You know there's been one that I know of, um, a study of about. 400 uh, patients in, in Israel with MS who had been uh, vaccinated with um, uh, with the Pfizer vaccine that found no increased risk of relapse and no other complications. You know, but but most of our knowledge comes from extrapolating. You know, what, what we know based on other vaccines. Um, 
And probably the best evidence we have comes from the, you know, the yearly influenza vaccine, you know, which, you know, very clearly has been shown to, to lead to no increased risk of relapse or other complications in MS patients. Um, but a, a number of other vaccines have been studied, uh, you know, in, and there's never been a signal in terms of triggering MS relapse, you know, either a first relapse, you know, for, for people before diagnosis or subsequent relapses. Um, and interestingly enough, there have been a, a number of, of vaccinations that uh, have been shown to be associated with a decreased uh, risk of having an MS relapse um, uh, after vaccination. And so, um, you know, I, I think it will always be kind of a theoretical concern, but the reassuring thing is that whenever it's been studied, you know, that, that risk has never been borne out. Yeah, I, I tend to also cite the influenza studies because that's really where our most extensive experience has been and is the most frequent vaccine that's used. But on the other hand, I, I think it's, it's hard to convince patients, especially when there's something new um, and, and uh, you know, it's a fraught decision personally, I think, for so many of them. But, you know, I try to put it in the context of the actual infection. And if you were to develop severe infection, you know, how do you balance the impact on your disease versus the theoretical one of uh, COVID-19? And especially now where there's some helpful information, especially from real world studies like the one in Israel. Yes, no, I, I agree. And, and I also, you know, I, I, I also understand that it is a fraught decision for, for patients. And, you know, so I, I certainly, you know, uh, try hard, you know, I mean, ne never to minimize their concerns and, and be very clear about the fact that, you know, our, our data when it comes to, you know, our knowledge when it comes specifically to these vaccines, which are, you know, new technology in, in, a, in a way, you know, that, that we, we don't have um, uh, definitive evidence, but I, I frame it much the same way that, that you just stated that, you know, in, in the scheme of things, when you're talking about risks from getting COVID-19, which we know very well versus, you know, theoretical risks that I think are very low given, you know, our experience with other vaccines, you know, it becomes a, an, an easier decision. But I, I certainly understand, you know, why, why many of my patients um, uh, agonize a, a, a bit over the, the decision, because even, you know, oftentimes their primary doctors, you know, will, will raise concerns about, you know, whether they should be getting vaccines given their, you know, their autoimmune condition. And so, um, uh, you know, when that's the case, you, you certainly understand, you know, where, where people are coming from. Yeah, I, and I think it's a general, I mean, because it makes some biological uh, plausibility, right? Oh, the immune system, you're activating it, yes. especially, you know, uh, with the COVID-19 vaccines, which probably are just the lipids jazzing up our innate immune system briefly. Uh, so, you know, it's certainly understandable. Uh, on the other hand, um, I wanted to ask a little bit about your insights or, or any concerns you may have uh, about your patients and the kind of medicines that are being used to treat their MS. I mean, of course, there's steroids, which uh, might just be briefly used, but your longer-term medicines, I, I've always found in MS tend to be a little different than the, the, the panel of drugs that are being used for most other um, auto-inflammatory diseases, probably because, you know, I've always learned that, or I don't know, but it's still true, that the brain might skew more towards Th2 uh, responses, and you don't want a lot of swelling in the brain and, and these sorts of things. So maybe your drugs are a little different. 
Um, what's your sense, just even from other vaccines, if of course we don't probably know for COVID-19, uh, do they impact vaccine responses? Should, should your patients be a little more concerned about whether they need boosters earlier on? Do they still need to be super cautious uh, you know, when community rates are still pretty high for COVID-19? Yeah, so very important question. Um, uh, and you're right, you know, that, you know, the, the cohort of, of drugs that we use, you know, there's starting to be some more overlap, you know, with, uh, with rheumatologic conditions, but there are a lot of distinctions, I think, for a variety of reasons. And, you know, MS is a, is a, has a wide spectrum of severity. And, and so people can be on a wide spectrum of, of disease modifying drugs. Um, and we do have quite a bit of uh, of good evidence um, in terms of uh, immune responses to other vaccines that, that we feel like we have a pretty good handle on, um, you know, who might have a diminished response to the COVID-19 vaccine and who might not. Um, and, you know, broadly speaking, it's kind of a, a distinction between, you know, what, what we call immunomodulatory drugs and, you know, immunosuppressive drugs. Um, but in, in MS, there, there's a number of drugs that we don't think at least are likely to have any impact on, on the vaccine response. And so those include um, the interferons, which were the, you know, the first MS medications. And we have very good uh, um, data that interferons do not impact um, vaccine responses from studies of a number of different vaccines. Um, and then there's things like clotirimer acetate, um, you know, which also is just very mild immunomodulatory drug. Um, and, uh, and kind of a whole class of drugs on that end of the spectrum that, you know, we, we have good evidence that, you know, they either have, don't have any uh, uh, impact on, on vaccine responses or have a, a mild impact that we don't think would be functionally relevant. Um, and it depends on mechanism of action. You know, so we do have some more targeted drugs like natalizumab that, that basically just block trafficking of lymphocytes into the brain. Um, and you know, again, based on mechanism of action and 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 the evidence that we have, you know, we don't expect that there's going to be a major impact there. Um, and so, for those patients, I I really just offer reassurance that you know I, I I don't expect their their response to the vaccine to be any different than anyone else's. Um, there are medications that we that we do have to worry about response. Um, so, uh, two of the the biggest ones are the S1P receptor modulators that basically work by trapping lymphocytes in the peripheral lymph nodes. Um, and so they're not kind of out surveilling um, uh, um, the rest of the body and, and you don't have as much of a, of a local response to the vaccine. And there's good evidence that uh, from other vaccinations that, that they do diminish your response. Um, and the other big one is the anti-CD20 therapies, which are now very commonly used. So you know, rituximab, kind of the old school version, but now we have opalizumab and opatumumab. Um, and, uh, and those drugs have also been shown to, uh, to um, blunt the, you know, the vaccine response. Um, and so, you know, for, for those patients, I tell them it's, it's definitely worth getting vaccinated. Um, you know, partial immunity is better than no immunity. Um, you know, none of the prior studies have, have really looked well at, at cell-mediated immunity, which obviously is going to be very important uh, for, uh, you know, for um, your uh, protection against COVID-19. Um, so they should definitely get vaccinated, but there's kind of two issues. So to, to your point, I, I do tell them that, uh, you know, we don't know how much protection you're going to have from this vaccine relative to someone else. And so, you know, you can't, you know, don't feel 
quite as, uh, you know, scot-free as, you know, maybe your other family members, you know, or, or friends do. And so, you know, I just caution them to, to still take basic precautions as long as the rates, you know, of, of COVID in the community are high, um, you know, as long as other members of their household are not yet vaccinated. Um, and, and so I, I, I just, you know, urge them to stay vigilant, but have a little peace of mind that they likely are not as, as much at risk as they were before. Um, and then the other issue comes with timing of medication. So, um, you know, for patients that we are going to start on these medicines, like the anti-CD20s, the question comes, you know, do we, do we delay it so that you can get vaccinated first, um, you know, and, and then start on the therapy, which we obviously have to weigh against the risk of their MS worsening. Um, uh, and then for patients who are already being treated with therapy, is there, is there any utility to timing the vaccines in response to, you know, when they're going to get doses of their medications. And in that setting, you know, the, the data is weak, um, you know, but, you know, based on some extrapolation, you know, we, we try, um, if we can, to, to vaccinate against COVID-19 about 12 weeks after they've received a dose of anti-CD20 therapy and at least four weeks before they're due for their, their next dose. You ask me, do I, do I think that that really makes a difference? I, I, I don't really know. Um, uh, but you know that's that's the general guidance, and so there there are issues surrounding these medications and vaccination, but it depends to a great extent on what medication they're, they're taking. And then the, the last thing I'll say is that you know we also have to think about the risk of these medications when it comes to their course of COVID. Um, and you know so the anti CD twenty therapies are really the the one therapy that has been shown to have some increased risk of of a severe course of COVID. And so you have to weigh you know getting partial immunity as quick as possible, you know, with, you know, the possibility of, you know, of trying to optimize their immune response. Yeah, so Michael, those are great comments. And, and certainly I think as infectious disease practitioners, we've been urging, especially people on the B cell depleting therapies to, A, if they have any symptoms of COVID, get diagnosed as soon as possible. And this is where some of the monoclonal antibody infusions, I think are, are, are especially, uh, important to uh, really try to decrease risk for progression to severe COVID. And then uh, we'll see, but there'll probably be prevention uh, strategies with monoclonal antibodies with subcutaneous injections of some of these cocktails or, or the monoclonals um, uh, coming out, which uh, may be quite uh, unique uh, to populations such as some of your MS patients uh, especially if there's very high community rates that can afford them some protection uh, beyond the mask. Yeah, well, I, I will look forward to that. <laughs> I'm sure a number of my patients will also. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you know, obviously the best way to help your patients are as many people in the United States to become immunized, but lacking that, and uh, I'm not overly hopeful we're going to get 90% of the U.S. population immunized. Yeah. Yeah. These monoclonal antibodies may be an important part of the repertoire for either treatment or or protection um, uh, moving ahead. So, yeah, the um, the other point you raised, which you know I, we don't really have a at least a concerted answer for, is the question of of booster um, you know booster vaccine doses. Um, uh, and you know if, if those do become available, I I, I you know my I anticipate my approach being that all of my patients on anti-CD20s, you know, should be kind of first in line. But you know, the, the question has come up among our our MS group um, is, uh, you know, what's the utility of of testing for uh, 
for spike protein antibodies. Um, in terms of kind of triaging, you know, who should get booster, you know, doses or or not. Um, and you know, to me, I, I haven't really been willing to extrapolate so much, you know, to to use that as a, you know, as a an, an outcome measure to to you know, uh, I, I guess assess a patient's risk, um, you know, after vaccination. But I, I don't know if that's you know something that has you know been discussed in your circles also. Uh, well, of course, and I think, you know, we don't really know the correlates of protection, especially with spike antibody levels, and um, so that's a difficult one to answer. I, I think, by and large, there probably won't be an antibody assessment recommendation. I think it will still be a patient population and time assessment just to get out of the, the rigmarole of having to get a blood test to interpret and then decide if you need a booster is just my feeling, although I think there'll be a gray zone of some weeks uh, or even months where we don't know any of these answers and, and uh, you know, a third dose is recommended. But um, it will become soonest, though, in the patients that you just mentioned, uh, those people that we don't think are going to respond well. Thank you for those terrific uh, thoughts about uh, special patient populations and MS drugs uh, and immunizations. I hope that the advice to have people still get immunized um, uh, carries forward and, and helps uh, all of our patients and our communities by offering as much protection as possible. So thank you so much for joining the program today. Thank you for having me. It was really my pleasure and thanks for sharing your insights as well. Dr. Kornberg, Dr. Allwater, thank you again for your time. For more information on COVID-19 and MS, you can read the newsletter or listen to the podcast of Dr. Kornberg's EMS Review, COVID-19 Special Edition by clicking on the link in the episode resources or going to emsreview.org. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.